Well, the consensus view on Wall Street right now is for a soft landing. What does that mean? Basically, it's a cyclical slowdown that avoids a recession. Another way of thinking about it in this current cycle is where we see a slowdown in inflation, which we have seen since last year, but without a big pickup in unemployment or layoffs. Joining us on the show today to break a number of these things down when we think about the leading economic indicators, what we've seen in prior cycles, and what we're likely to see in the months ahead is Chris Paplava, our chief investment officer. So Chris, I know we've spoken with you on the past. You've pushed back on the soft landing thesis. Again, that is the consensus view right now on Wall Street. And some, like Ed Yardeni, saying on FS Insider that uh, we're now in the midst of a rolling recovery. Well, you know, I think, Chris, you know, the the analogy of a landing, right, soft, hard, basically using the analogy of an airplane, right? The airplane is decelerating, it lands, and eventually uh, takes off again. But, you know, essentially, visually, what is the definition of a landing? You stop going down. I mean, when you're falling out of the sky, you're decelerating, and then you land on the tarmac, well, then you've landed. So before we can even debate if we're going to have a soft or hard landing, we actually need to see a landing. And a landing first would occur in the leading economic indicators, because those, again, lead the general economy. And if we see a landing in the leading economic indicators, they stop going down and they start to rise. And that recovers such to an extent that we don't ever see the coincident indicators, which typically track the National Bureau of Economic Research is dates for a recession. And if the lagging components still continue to rise, well, then sure, we've had a soft landing. Soft landing is essentially a deceleration in the economy that does not lead to a recession or another way of thinking about it does not lead to a general rise in the unemployment rate with layoffs. So, uh, you know, that's, I think, really helpful, Chris, is to, to think of a framework, right? So, you know, there's bulls and bears out there basically saying the other, other side is wrong. And you have to kind of have a, a general accepted framework to really, you know, look at it objectively. And if everyone's using the word landing, you have to land. I mean, you can't call for a landing when you haven't even landed. And the way I look at that is using the conference board who's, you know, looked at uh, the economy and been measuring it for decades upon decades with, and they've essentially identified indicators that lead the general economy, those that basically are coincident, that they peak when the economy peaks and troughs, the economy troughs. And then there's other things that they track that tend to peak after the economy peaks and they bottom after. Those are the lagging indicators. So if you look at those three indices, their leading index, coincident index, and lagging index, and you look at that, you know, across time going back to, you know, you know, post-World War II, you can kind of get a general feel for how cycles progress. And it makes intuitive sense, right? Uh, going into a downturn, your lean economic indicator peaks first then you're coincident, and then finally you're lagging. And on the reverse, what is first to bottom is you're leading, then you're coincident, and lastly is you're lagging. So what, what I did recently was say, okay, let's take a look at, at things and try to understand the likelihood of a soft or hard landing and the progression of a cycle. So as I mentioned to you, the leading economic indicator peaks before a recession starts. And what you typically see is that it does not bottom until in the recession or near the tail end of it. So, 
you know, even if we see the LEI's bottom, Chris, that does not mean that we're not going to have a recession. You, you have to essentially see your coincident lagging hold up as the leading starts to pick up again. But just the fact that it bottoms, it, it's like, for example, let's say, Chris, the LEI bottoms in July. And we see, you know, one, two, three months of it ticking up. You know, the LEIs will do that. They'll rise for a few months and then continue to head down. We're going to have to see it on a sustained basis rise while the coincident lagging pick up. So to really say that the hard landing, you know, um, scenario is off the table, we would have to see the conference sports LEI rise for several months to kind of have some confidence. Okay, looks like we're going to have a soft landing. You know, the coincident lagging are still holding up and the leading is now turning back up. You know, the odds are going to progressively rise that, yes, we're going to have a soft landing. So, but again, just the fact that even if the LEIs begin to rise, that doesn't negate a recession. You, you want to see a trend in that. And so, I, you know, I went back, Chris, and I looked at the, the 60s and the 70s, and I wanted to look at soft landings, hard landings. And what you uniformly see is that, you know, again, the conference board's LEI always leads. And when we see an outright recession is usually when the coincident index falls. And uh, that really kind of is um, basically what the NERBER or National Bureau of Economic Research uses to date recessions is the coincident part of the economy rolls over. So we saw that in the 69, 70 recession, the 73 to 75 recession. We saw the 1980 recession. We saw that in the 81, 82 recession. We saw that same progression also in the 90, 91 and the 2001 recessions, and then ultimately in the great financial crisis of uh, 2007 to 2009. Now, I wanted to take a look, Chris, at the three soft landings that everyone's aware of. There was the the 67 soft landing, the mid-1980s and mid-1990s. And the reason why you look at is that a cycle or classify as a cycle is essentially looking at monetary policy. The Fed raises interest rates and that typically slows the economy down to the point of either having a significant slowdown that leads to recession or just a significant slowdown that does not lead to recession. So the whole idea of soft versus hard, it's really predicated on uh, central bank policy. What does the Fed do and what is the actual outcome? So when we look at the prior instances of soft landings, we saw the Federal Reserve in 1962, the Fed funds rate was roughly around 2.5%. And by 1966, four years later, it had risen to about 6%. So the Fed raised throughout that period. And what we saw, Chris, was that during that period, the unemployment rate in 1962 was about 6 to, you know, 5.5%, 6%. And it decelerated all the way till 1966. It flatlined, and then it eventually continued to go down. So we never saw a material pickup in unemployment. Secondly, when we look at the uh, three cycles of the conference board's indicators, the LEI, the coincident, and the lagging, the LEI, Chris, barely ticked down in 1966-67. It was a very small decline in the index. Uh, nothing that, I mean, if you zoomed out, you wouldn't even really be able to see it. And when you look at the coincident and the lagging data, they never blinked. They accelerated throughout the entire period they didn't even go sideways, Chris. They literally accelerated as if nothing ever happened. So effectively, we had a central bank hiking cycle that did not lead to a rise in unemployment, and it did not impact coincident or lagging data at all. 
and it only moderately impacted the leading economic indicators. There was only a small tick down. So that was you know, the first kind of big example we have of a soft landing. Uh, now fast forward to the early 1980s cycle where the Fed was raising rates from, let's say, 8.5% uh, in early 83 up to as high as 12% nearly in 1984. So huge jump in the Fed funds rate. What did we see with unemployment? Unemployment fell throughout the entire period. It started in the early 80s at around 10.5%. Uh, by the time the Fed was done raising rates, it had fallen to 7 and then it just went sideways and then later eventually slowly fell. But part of it too, Chris, when you notice these soft landings, what did we see? The Fed pivoted. Uh, in 1966-67, the Fed started cutting interest rates. The question is, what if the Fed didn't cut interest rates? What if the Fed kept rates high and elevated for a prolonged period of time? Chances are we probably would have had a recession. So how did we get out of the 66-67 possible recession? Fed cut interest rates. That eased monetary policy and things reaccelerated. Same deal when you look at 84-85. Fed cut interest rates from 12 to 8.5% in a matter of six months. And it continued to cut interest rates in 85 and 86 and went on for years of cutting. So again, Fed raised rates, didn't see a pickup in unemployment, but the Fed also began an easing cycle. And when you look at the LEI, you look or the lean economic indicator, you look at the coincidence, look at the lagging throughout the early 80s, they didn't even flinch. They kept rising. So there was even no warning of a recession, Chris. When you look at the conference board's LEI, no warning whatsoever of a recession. So again, monetary hiking policy cycle that did not lead to a rise in unemployment and didn't lead to a hit in the conference board's indicators. The the next one to take a look at is the you know mid 1990s slowdown. So in 92, the Fed funds rate was about 3%. The Fed began to hike rates aggressively in early 1994, and it went from 3 and doubled it to basically 6% in early 95. And what we notice is that the unemployment rate went down from 92 to 95, and when the Fed got up to 6%, we started to see the unemployment rate flatline. So you were starting to see job growth beginning to slow because of the Fed's tightening policy, but what did the Fed do? It began to cut rates in 95. And because it cut rates, it kind of reaccelerated the credit cycle, and we saw unemployment start to slowly decline again in 1996. Now, when we look at the three cycles for the conference board, the leading, coincident, lagging, what did we see during 95, 96? No decline whatsoever. We saw the conference board's leading economic indicator rise throughout 94, rise throughout 95, and it, it started to moderate, but it was still rising. And when you look at the coincident index, didn't even flinch. It was rising aggressively. So we saw the lagging and the coincident rising throughout, and the, the leading only paused, and then reaccelerated once the Fed started to cut interest rates. So what's the common theme with the prior three soft landings? The consistent theme is the Fed raised interest rates, you know, but it also cut them to avoid a recession and you never saw the unemployment rate pick up. It might have if the Fed stayed higher for longer, which is the forecast uh, from our current Fed, that they're gonna raise interest rates and not cut until I believe 2025 is the current dot plot for the first Fed rate cut. So you kinda have to wonder, those three soft landings, what would have happened if we saw the Fed continue to raise rates or keep rates at a high level and not cut? 
there's a good chance we could have had a recession. So to really make a call for a soft landing, you basically have to see the Fed cut rates and start to reaccelerate the credit cycle again. But uh, another key point too was that the conference board's leading economic indicator was rising or moderating throughout those prior instances. And when you look at the present, Chris, and I, I, you know, I sent you charts we may post on the web, but the conference board's LEI peaked in early 22, and the index at that time was around 118. The index is at 106 and still falling. It's been falling consecutively now, I think something like 15 months or so. So unlike the prior examples, the conference board's LEI is, is falling sharply. It's not moderating. It's not going sideways. It's falling sharply. And unlike the prior cycles, the coincident index kept rallying as if nothing had happened. What we are seeing at the coincident index is it's starting to flatline and just go sideways. It's no longer accelerating. And when we look at the lagging index, the lagging index has stalled all year. It stopped rising in January of this year, and it's just been going sideways. And the unemployment rate is just going sideways. So if the Fed began to cut interest rates right now, and we did not have a recession, this would be the first instance in 60 years in which we don't have a recession and we had a significant decline in the conference board's leading economic indicator. This would be a first time in history. You know, there, everything, anything's possible, but it, the question is, is it probable? So when you look at all of the Fed tightening cycles since World War II, we've had 13 of them. In 10 of those prior 13, we had a recession. So once the Fed starts raising interest rates, the historical odds of having a recession are 77%. We've only had three out of 13 cycles that led into a soft landing. So to me, I still think the weight of, or the burden of proof is more on the bulls saying that we're going to have a soft landing because the odds are stacked against it. And like I said, we have never seen a decline in the conference board's LEI uh, to a deeply negative territory that did not lead to a recession. So, uh, you know, for me, I still think the the odds of recession are there, and there is no way anyone should be talking about a hard or a soft landing when we haven't even landed, right? So there's no landing. <laughs> you know, the conference board's LEI index is still falling. There's no, it's not even moderating going sideways, you know, like as if it just landed on the tarmac and it's not taking off again. Uh, it's still falling. So, you know, it's still falling out of the air, and it's way too soon to discuss the notion of a landing. Yeah, that was one of the things that we discussed with Ed Yardeni is, you know, given his outlook that we're that we've moved from a rolling recession last year into a rolling recovery, which he believes that we're in the midst of is, uh, you know, basically to make the point that if the LEIs are falling, if the manufacturing sector is in contraction as it is now, then in order for his view to be correct, we'd really need to see the LEIs pick up. We need to see the manufacturing sector pick up from here. But we're just not seeing that yet. You know, I would say the, the idea of a rolling recovery, uh, to me, the simplistic way of looking at that versus just one indicator. I mean, because, again, the conference board has multiple components and it's leading, coincident, lagging is, I mean, how can we talk about a recovery, Chris, again, when the leading most parts of the economy not have recovered? And when you look at the conference board's leading economic index, it's still falling. So... I don't see a rolling recovery. The, the biggest one that people are pointing to is housing. And it's really important to understand what is going on. 
So if you, you know, have a house that you got a mortgage and you were lucky to get below 3% or even 4, heck, even below 5%, do you really want to sell your home and double or possibly, you know, nearly triple your mortgage as uh, rates have gone up dramatically? No. And so that's why we have seen the volume of transactions for housing has just fallen off a cliff and it's not recovered. And because homeowners don't want to sell their home, what are we seeing? We're seeing, you know, basically businesses willing to sell. You know, they're they're more motivated than a homeowner. So home builders, new homes, they're willing to do deals where they'll buy down your interest rate or they'll take a 10, 15% price cut uh, on the price of a home to basically get volumes going. And that's really this whole idea of a rolling recovery is that we've seen new home sales really pick up. So back in 2020 at the peak, there were over a million um, annualized sales uh, for new homes in uh, late 2020. That was the peak, obviously, late 20, and that was decelerating. And we bottomed last year at roughly around 557,000 annualized home sales in new home sales in July of, of last year. And since then, we moderated, but really began to pick up, Chris, I would say in the spring. So in March uh, onward, we saw new home sales go from the low 600,000 annualized uh, rate to let's just say 750,000. So a, a decent jump of let's say about 150,000 annualized sales. Now, let's flip that on its head. Let's look at existing home sales. And just logically, I mean, everyone knows there's obviously a lot more existing homes, homes that have already been built than brand new homes, right? And so the lion's share of home sale activities in existing, not new home sales. And just to give you an example, as I mentioned to you, roughly about a million annualized home sales were in new homes in 2020. In existing, we reached 6.5 million was the peak. Right, so significantly six and a half times more homes of existing were sold versus new. Big, big change there. And we saw that decelerate, Chris, all the way to the beginning of this year. It went all the way down to four million uh, units sold annualized. That was below the COVID levels where you couldn't even get out of your home to go look for a house in 2020. And not too far off from the bottom of the housing crash uh, near 2010 2011. And we started to rise. We went from 4 million annualized sales to just over 4.5 million this spring. But what you'll notice, Chris, is in the spring, new home sales started to roll over again. And that jump was because interest rates rose. And when interest rates, mortgage rates started to rise again, new home or existing home sales started to plunge. So again, in the spring of this year, new existing home sales were roughly around just over 4.5 million annualized. We're now below 4.3. We're at uh, 4.16. So we're talking roughly 400,000 less homes being sold than the rate of where we saw in the spring. So just think of that again, 400,000 less homes being sold now than in the spring. When we look at new home sales, I told you that over that same time period, they accelerated by 150,000. So let's net those out. 400,000 slower rate in existing, less a growth of 150,000 in new home sales. When you add those two together, Chris, we still have falling, or falling home sale activities when you combine new and existing homes. So when you look at a chart of new home sales, it looks like a recovery. It, it really does. But you have to understand what's going on. No one, there's no inventory, no volume of existing home sales. So if you want to buy a home, most likely you're buying a new home. So the 
percentage of sales have shifted from existing to new. But when you look at them in totality, total home sales, they're declining again, Chris. After seeing a slight rebound in the first quarter on you know total basis, they're falling again. So again, I think people are looking for green shoots and those green shoots are basically, you know, just like the sun can kill a plant if it gets too hot, mortgage rates that are elevated in a slowing economy are killing those green shoots. And they're now dead, in my opinion, because when you look at existing home sales, they're almost getting back down to where they were at the low seen at the beginning of this year. And look where 30-year mortgage rates are. They're north of 7%. And home prices have not fallen dramatically. So housing affordability has not improved at all when mortgage rates are elevated above 7 and home prices are still high. And again, when you look, Chris, it's not just one indicator. you got to look at the details, the weeds, what's going on there. And when you look at that, you look at housing, which is the biggest green shoot everyone's pointing to, it's really not a green shoot, Chris. And if it was, it's been snuffed out by high mortgage rates. And as I mentioned to you, there's zero uptick in the conference board's leading economic index. It's still falling. It's you know falling from a little over 118. It's currently at 106 as of June. So... I have yet to see any green shoots overall. Well, Chris, going back to this question about the timing of a potential hard landing, because as you're saying, historically speaking, the probabilities are very high that we should expect to see one. seems like if that's the case, this could be lining up for late 2023 or perhaps in the first quarter of 2024. What are your thoughts on the timing perspective when we consider some of these lead lag relationships with monetary policy and how they flow through to the economy. Well, Chris, I, I, I took again, you know, I took a, a look at the framework by the conference board because again, they have leading coincident lagging data to kind of look at the cycles. And what I found, and this goes all the way back to the 1969 recession. And on average, from the 69, 73, 79, 81, 89, 2000, 2007 recessions, I looked at the conference board and on average their LEI peaks 13 months before a recession begins. The shortest lead time it ever gave was eight months. That was before the 69 and the 81 recession. The longest lead time it gave was in the 2007 recession where it peaked 21 months before uh, the recession actually began. So nearly two years before. So if you take a look at the peak in the LEI for the conference board, which was December of 21, you take the minimum, which is eight months, that would have suggested at, a, you know, at the earliest we could have seen a recession begin in August of last year. If you look at the average of 13 months, that basically argues January of this year, which is, we should have seen it. And if you look at the longest lead time of 21 months, that saying the recession could start as late as September of this year. So when you just look at the minimum to maximum lead times of 8 to 21 months, we are still in that recessionary window. And you know, prior to December of 07, the great financial crisis, the longest lead time was the 90s recession which was 17 months. So, you know, if you were studying the market in uh, 2006, 2007, and we passed that 17 month mark with that recession, you'd say, "All right, the all clear is given." Well, no, we are about to, you know, have a record of 4 months. And when you think about it, Chris, you know, in, in those prior recessionary periods, you didn't have the federal government expand spending 
into those periods. If anything, you were almost getting to a surplus uh, where the government was cutting back spending because the economy was doing so well. Uh, this cycle, the government with the Inflation Reduction Act has increased spending near the tail end of an economic cycle. So it would lend itself that maybe this time we may have a new record, not 21 months, maybe it's 23 months, 24 months. Again, I would give that some, you know, a decent chance of happening because, again, the government is, you know, extending the circumstance where you've got a couple of things, right? The government's spending money, consumers have excess pandemic uh, savings involved. And and the third one, Chris, is we've, you know, basically had student loan forgiveness uh, or at least a, a holding of payments. So we have three kind of stimulus measures, Chris, at the tail end of a cycle, right? Increased federal government spending excess pandemic savings that consumers still have as a cushion and student loans have not had to been uh, repaid for years now. So uh, again, I think, you know, that could certainly make this the longest lead time between the peak and the LEI and an actual outright recession. So to me, Chris, as long as the LEI is still falling and it's not rising, to me, Chris, that means the window's open and it'd only be a sustained upturn in the conference board's linear economic index um, well, the coincident lagging are still rising where I would start to say, okay, this starts, this starting to smell like a soft landing, but uh, I still think we're very much in that window of vulnerability where, uh, we could have a recession as late as, you know, December of this year. So I, um, I, I definitely think the debate is going to continue, but, uh, to have a debate, you have to have a framework. And in terms of my mind, Chris, that framework is, for landing, you got to see actually the plane touch the ground, and the plane is still falling when you look at the conference board's LEI. All right. Well, Chris, help boil this down for us in terms of investment implications and where we stand here at Financial Sense Wealth Management currently. Well, Chris, you know, one of the things that's interesting when you look at past cycles is, you know, essentially how does the stock market respond to the business cycle and recessions? And, you know, the, the S&P 500 is actually one of the uh, components in the conference board's leading economic index. So itself, you know, stocks discount the future. But that discounting could be, have its own variable, you know, lead and lag time. So, um, you know, the, the biggest lead time we ever saw at S&P peak before the recession was the 69 recession, where essentially the S&P peaked uh, 13 months prior, November of 68. So that was a huge lead time where stocks fell. They had a pretty good visibility of what was coming. But when you look at, for example, the January 1980 recession, stocks didn't peak until a month in the recession. They peaked in February of 1980, a month after the recession actually began. And when you look at the uh, July 1990 recession, stocks peaked right when the recession began. Zero lead time, any warning from the stock market. And when you look at the, um, you know, the last big recession, the great financial crisis, which started in December of 07, the stock market only gave you a two-month warning. It peaked in October of 07, only basically kind of giving you the warning two months in advance. So when we look at the stock market, Chris, it, it may literally continue to rally all the way up until the point where the recession begins. And it might actually not even peak until after the recession starts. So for us, you know, we were incredibly defensive earlier. Uh, we had a minimum risk posture, but we have since, Chris, started to move closer to a neutral stance. And the reason for that is we are starting to see some more broader participation in this market rally beyond just technology. And a lot of that improvement has just happened in the last month, where we've seen smaller cap, mid cap companies, you know, um, sectors other than technology really begin to, to perform here. And so with the idea being that, let's say the recession is going to start late 
this cycle for the reasons I mentioned, the market might have you know a few more months ahead of it before it really starts to roll over. And so that's why we started to put some money to work because we finally started seeing it broadened outside of tech. And because of that, it makes sense to at least get to a neutral stance on the market. But in my opinion, Chris, if things continue to progress, my bet is that uh, as we get into the end of the year, we're probably going to shift back to a maximum defensive position because the biggest declines we've seen in the stock market have always happened, Chris, around a recession, where on average the stock market falls 30 to 35% during recession. So, you know, let's say the S&P continues to rally, even let's say it goes all the way back to its 20, you know, two highs uh, near 4,800 on the S&P, a 30% haircut from that level would be pretty extreme and very painful. So again, what we've acknowledged is we, we follow the data. And when you look at the market data, not the economic data, it is clearly improved beyond just tech. So uh, we have added exposure to the market, but we're doing it outside of tech. We're doing it more in the value areas of the market, uh, some of the areas that haven't been as extended, not as expensively valued as you know the tech and the general S&P. And so we're, we're pretty much almost back to neutral, Chris. But again, as I mentioned to you, that recession hard landing cannot be declared as avoided. I still think there's a good chance of that. So if I'm correct that this will be a very long lead time between the peak and the conference board's LEI and when the recession actually starts, you know, then we could see, again, a few more months of a market rally. But to me, we're still in that window of vulnerability, and it does not make any sense to me in this kind of climate to have an above average level of risk. At maximum, I think you should be neutral, but above that to me doesn't warrant anything. And again, um, when we think of Fed policy, Chris, we have never, ever had a soft landing that did not see the Fed cut interest rates and pivot. And what we are looking at right now with elevated inflation still is the Fed is telling us they're gonna go higher for longer. So if the Fed does not cut interest rates, I don't know how you can call a soft landing. And again, this is why we still have, basically we're back to neutral, Chris, but we have a sharp eye on the exits. Well, as we close out today's show, please remember to spread the word about Financial Sense News Hour with your friends and family. Today's podcast is brought to you by Financial Sense Wealth Management, which has been named as one of the top investment advisory firms in the U.S. by the Financial Times. If you have any questions about our asset management or financial planning services, feel free to click where it says contact us on our website, financialsense.com, or to give us a call directly at 888-486-3939. And we have a team of advisors that are standing by to assist you with any of your questions. Chris, as always, a pleasure to speak with you on our show. We look forward to speak with you in another couple of weeks. I appreciate it, Chris, and look forward to it. Financial Sense News Hour is for informational and educational purposes only and should not be considered as a solicitation or offer to purchase or sell any securities. The investments, investment strategies, and investment philosophies discussed or presented on the News Hour each involve their own unique risk factors, which are not discussed on the show. Responses to listener inquiries are based on the personal opinions of the Financial Sense staff and do not take into account listener suitability, objectives, or risk tolerance. Financial Sense News Hour and its parent company shall not be liable for any financial losses that result from investing in any company mentioned in financial sense or arising out of the use of any material on the news hour be advised that you invest at your own risk